Hello and welcome back to Touching Base PR Edition. My name is Jamie and I am still your host. In today's episode, I have an interview with Taya Price, who is working as a social media coordinator and an account executive at a PR firm in Philly. She's so great and we talk about so many different things, including like getting a job in social media and kind of just talking about how social media is so changing and so growing and there's so much to learn which is so great and such a great interview and I'm so excited for you guys to listen to it. Before we get into it let's hop into my personal and professional highlights of the week. We'll start with personal this week. On Wednesday I went to Asbury Park in New Jersey and I surprised my sorority little Danielle and um we went out to lunch and then she showed me the boardwalk in Asbury and it was so pretty and it was just such a good day, good vibes and I was really lucky that I was able to do that. On a professional note, worked on the Rush video for my old sorority this week. I guess not my old sorority because I'm still an intern for them and I'm, I mean sisters are forever but I was really grateful to have that opportunity to do it because it let me expand on video editing skills and all of that and it's just any chance to make a video for something that isn't like my own personal YouTube channel I love to hop on because I think it's really great to work with other content that you don't take and that you don't necessarily know if that makes sense so I love doing that and it was such a great opportunity for me one more thing before we hop into the interview we reached a thousand plays on anchor this week which means all the total platforms went over a thousand plays which is fantastic and i'm so so grateful that people have listened to this podcast and people are enjoying it and keep listening and stay engaged this was like a quarantine project for me and it's been so fun for me to do so i'm glad that other people are enjoying it as well With that being said, I'm going to be running a giveaway on Instagram this week for a little prize. I have it, but I'll keep it a surprise, so you have to go follow us on Instagram. So I'll be posting that at some point this week, and there'll just be a few rules to enter that will be in the description box. But it's going to be so fun and PR-based and all of that, so I hope you guys enter the giveaway, and I'm so excited to continue growing this podcast and continue growing our community. All of that being said, let's hop right into this interview with Taya. Hello, how are you? Hi, Jamie. I'm well. How are you? I am good. Do you want to go ahead and introduce yourself? Yes, of course. So hi, everyone. My name is Taya Price, um, and I'm currently an assistant account executive social media specialist at Tyranny Agency located in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Amazing. What is it like living in Philadelphia? It's honestly, it's really interesting because I feel like it gives off of off a New York vibe, but like not like the expensiveness part of, or, or the expensive part of New York, I guess is like the best way I could describe it. Um, it's really, it, I've been here all my life, um, but it's really just nice in terms of like, you get the best of both worlds in terms of working and living in a city if you want to, but you can also work and live like in the suburbs as well. So you kind of have that like balance of if you want to have alone time and kind of just be in a more quiet area, you can do that in the suburbs. But again, if you want that city life, like in New York or LA, you can always just go right downtown um, by using the train or the subway or anything like that. So I just, I, I really like that whole aspect of Philly. Yeah. My cousin went to Temple and so we visited her there mm-hmm. and I loved the just like atmosphere of the environment and I ended up applying to Temple, but I didn't end up going, but mm-hmm. definitely 
one of the cities that I want to try to live in at some point in my life. So definitely on that list. Yes. Yes. We welcome everyone here. So (laughs) it's a great city. (laughs) So we're going to jump right into a little hot seat segment. That way we can get to know you a little bit better. So my first question for you is what would you do if you won the lottery? Oh, this is such a loaded question. And I feel like I'm definitely going to give, you know, the, the typical millennial answers, pay off student loans. Um, that's, that would be the first thing on my list. Um, but I will also really love to travel um, as well. I've always wanted to go to Barcelona since I was younger. Ever since I saw the Cheetah Girls movie, I've always wanted to go there. And then, you know, after that, of course, just invest and then give back to as many people and organizations as I could. So of course, helping out my loved ones, my friends, um, just anyone that I can. And then, like I said, those organizations that I'm passionate about as well. That is so great. Definitely (laughs) a good answer. So thought out. Um, (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I think I was thinking of this question today. I have a whole list of different questions that I like to ask, but I was thinking of this one today because I think like yesterday, my mom was like, I'm going to buy lottery tickets tomorrow because there's a lot of money in the lottery right now. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to buy a ticket and see what happens. So I was <laughs> yes. like, oh, right. So definitely was thinking about that one today. Yes. And then my second question for you is, mm-hmm. what is one of your favorite quotes? Um, this is a great question. So I definitely would say... I forget, I apologize for getting the, um, the actual original person who said this name, but it's everything you want is on the other side of fear. I just think that is such a great quote and just such a really good mantra to live by and just keep in mind because at the end of the day, you know, as we all know, life is short and you don't want to look back on your life and say, oh, what if I would have did this? What if I would have did that? I, I don't really want to live with regrets and I don't think anyone wants to. So that's just something that I've been really trying to keep in the back of my mind and just saying like, you know, go for it, whether it's with my career, whether it's within my personal life, if it makes sense and if it's safe, then go for it. You know, what's, what's the worst that could happen essentially? You just pick yourself up off the ground and then try again, you know? So th- that would be my favorite quote um, right now, but I, I would say probably like in general. <laughs> Right now, I am in so much of a like everything happens for a reason kind of vibe. Mm-hmm. That might also just be because I've been reading so many like trashy romance books lately <laughs> where the people like fall in love when they're young and then they fall out of love and then they find their way back to each mm-hmm. other and they're like better people. So I'm in this very much like everything happens for a reason right now, mm-hmm. um, which I mean is good. I think it's a good mindset for um me right now I'm post-grad I graduated in December so definitely like that weird in-between stage of my life so definitely a good mantra to live by right now definitely definitely and that's one of my other favorite quotes as well is like you said everything happens for a reason and that's just it's so so true so definitely a good mantra to live by as well (laughs) so now moving more into the communications focused questions Mm -hmm. Can you start by sharing where you went to school and what you got a degree in? Yeah, of course. So I actually went to Penn State University on the main campus and I was an advertising slash public relations major. And I also had a minor in digital media trends and analytics. So just, and really what that minor means is that, you know, really taking a look into the data um, of certain like KPIs. So those key performance indicators like engagement rate, click-through rate, things like that, as well as just, um, search engine marketing, search engine optimization, um, all of that type of stuff. So anything with analytics, especially if it has to deal with the social side or, or the communication side, um, that's what that minor um, really um, supports. 
So Penn State is such a big school, such a Big Ten school also. (laughs) So what was kind of that campus environment like, especially, I guess, closer to game days and things like that? Yeah, so it's, I feel like a lot of what you see um, in the video. So if you ever, you know, get to see the promo videos for Penn State Athletics, specifically the football team, and you see, you know, when we have our whiteout games and how exciting and exhilarating those are, I would say that's definitely um, very spot on and very accurate. Football culture is very huge up at Penn State. And I actually really wasn't, and I'm still kind of not like super big into sports, really, like football, basketball, but when I went up there, I definitely um, gained an appreciation for it because it's just so ingrained into the culture. But in terms of like the actual campus life and the atmosphere, it definitely, I would say was that like that type of traditional like American college experience that you might see in the movies or, or, even in like Gilmore Girls, I'm, I'm a huge fan of Gilmore Girls and I know that Rory went to Yale, but like even just seeing kind of her, how her college experience was and how they laid it out, especially with that game day episode, that's really how Penn State was um, and is still to this day. So I just really um, love the whole atmosphere of it. It was very, even though it was very, very big, there was such a huge sense of community as well. Everyone there has each other's back in terms of like alumni, current students, even prospective students. Like it's just such a big community um, feeling up there. And that's one thing that I was looking for when I was looking into colleges and applying to colleges. Since I was going to be away from home, I kind of knew that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to um, live on campus and all of that. I wanted to make sure that I still felt like this place was another place I could call home, if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. I went to a school that did not have a football team and like we weren't super school spirited Mm -hmm. but I interned in our athletics department so I knew like so much about the happenings but like we didn't Mm -hmm. have a football team so I still know absolutely nothing about football (laughs) but (laughs) when I was picking schools I I literally I turned to my parents and I was like they don't have a football team but their main sport is soccer Mm -hmm. and soccer is so easy to understand you just have to kick it in the goal so I was like this checks off all my box (laughs) (laughs) yes but Going to such a big school, did you still feel like you were able to get um, personalized attention and still like form relationships with professors and um, people in your classes? Oh, definitely. That's another great question. I feel like I got that a lot when I was like, you know, going through um, school. A lot of people were saying like, those lecture halls are probably like, you know, 800, 900 people. How do you even get that one-on-one time with your professor? And, you know, with when it comes to those type of schools, there are a lot of resources like TAs, um, especially with those lecture halls, like there's too many students, of course. So the professor is going to have like, you know, um, teaching assistants and um, interns and just things like that and people like that to really help you get that one-on-one time with them. But of course, like, you know, taking advantage of office hours, I always made it work regardless with my schedule. If I knew I was struggling with a course or if I knew I just needed a little bit of extra support, I always made time to go to um, those professor's office hours, as well as just, you know, talking to other students in general, like study groups and really meeting up with the peers in your classroom were like a huge thing. And it really did help, like not even just for group projects, but there would be people that, you know, I made friends with in those classes. We would get each other's numbers and I would say like, hey, like, you know, if I'm out one day, can you please like get the notes, et cetera, et cetera. I would say that even though it was a big school, um, there were definitely resources that everyone could take advantage of to try to get that one-on-one time with their professors. Hearing 800 to 900 people in a lecture hall sounds so <laughs> scary and overwhelming. Even I thought like my lectures were big where we had like 300 people mm-hmm. in a lecture. So hearing 800 is 
crazy to me. Yeah, it really depends on what class you're taking. So of course, there are some classes where there are big lecture halls, and it might be just, you know, 300, 400 or something like that. But there are a few classes at Penn State. And one of them is Social 119, Sociology 119. And if you went to Penn State, you know exactly what I'm talking about. That classroom is, um, that class is one of the most popular classes on campus. So the professor offers like, you know, I think like, 800 and 900 students in that one lecture hall um, and then we have like breakout groups um, throughout the week where we meet with like these smaller groups and just certain classmates and we get to talk about what type of topics that we're discussing class that week and then I think another class um, where it's like you can have a lot of students depending on what who, who the professor is is on um, statistics stat 200 to be exact that's another class at Penn State where it's like you pretty much like somehow those two classes may find a way into your schedule even if that's not your major they somehow find their way into a lot of student schedules so yeah I, I would say those two classes have those type of um larger like uh student sizes but I can definitely see how intimidating it could be to go into class and like see 800 faces just kind of looking at you I totally get it <laughs> I also like Imagine being the professor for one of those classes and having to mm-hmm. engage 800 students like that's crazy. Exactly. And and it really is a talent. I feel like with stat, you know, it's a little bit harder because it is math at the end of the day. But um, for sociology, I would say because it sociology is one of those topics where you do talk a lot about theories and, you know, just um you know, socioeconomic status and, you know, poverty and racism and just all of those type of things, it really kind of keeps the class engaged. And it's like everyone has an opinion and everyone wants to talk. So believe it or not, we actually did have a lot of students within the class who would raise their hand, stand up and literally speak to all of us in that class and give their opinion. And that is really scary. So I would really like commend all of those students. I never personally did it because I was just, I was too nervous, but I commended all of the students that did do it. Definitely. I was always so scared to talk in big lecture hall classes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then even like this semester, my last semester, they used like the bigger lecture hall spaces. That way they could space us out with COVID. Mm-hmm. And even just like being in that room and even knowing just like there's only 30 people in this room, like it's fine. I can totally speak. It was still like an intimidating feeling <laughs> exactly. just because you were like in such a big space. And even, mm-hmm. it was like, even like you had to project your voice more because you had yes. to reach so many people because everyone was so spread out and you were wearing a mask. So it was definitely intimidating, even mm-hmm. with just that small amount of people. But as you moved on in your degree, did the class mm-hmm. sizes get smaller and more personalized? Yeah, they definitely did. I would say when I was moving towards like my more core classes or main classes for comms, um, there were still a lot of people like within those lecture halls just because public relations is a popular major within the communication school at Penn State. So a lot of people were in that major. Um, So I I still was around a lot of people, but certain um, specific classes like my SEO classes um, or really my classes that fell under, I guess my um, digital media trends and analytics minor those got smaller and smaller um, just because it was a new minor. So now with me being out of college for, I would say almost three years now, the ma- the minor um, for DMTA has definitely like become a lot more established and a lot more structured. Um, I would say there's probably a lot more people in those classes now, but back then, yeah, it was really like kind of a toss up. Yeah, definitely. I think that's was kind of similar for me even moving on to my degree Mm -hmm. I was an English major so my classes probably got down to like 
30 to 45 people. Mm-hmm. And then this semester I actually had a class and it was on Zoom, but it was only eight people in the class, mm-hmm. which was so small. It was honestly like, it was very scary because I feel like I always had to be on my like a game because the professor could see me and engage with me at literally any moment. Mm-hmm. So definitely every size class has its different pros and cons. And I yeah. think that the smaller ones, it's like you're getting more attention, but you also have to be mm-hmm. on your A game. And then the bigger ones, you're not getting as much attention, but you can kind of take things at your own pace and focus on what you need to do the best. Exactly. That's the best way that I feel like you can describe it. Definitely. So when you were in school, did you do any internships or did you have any jobs that prepared you for working in PR? Yeah. So I actually had four internships um, during my time up at Penn State. So um, I, my first one was definitely just like a standard public relations internship. And I did that over the summer, um, in my hometown. And then the other ones were actually while I was, um, in school. So the second one was with the athletics department up at Penn state. And I was working as their digital marketing slash social media intern for the women's volleyball team, which was really cool. Um, that's like the only sport where I actually know a little something, something. So I actually was really um, excited to get that internship. And then after a bit, I did move on to another one where it was remote. So this company was actually based in North Carolina. And I got this, got that one through um, College Fashionista, if you know what that is. Um, I got that through there. And like I said, that was remote. So I pretty much just did, um, I was also a digital marketing and social media intern for her as well, the CEO. Um, And I just pretty much helped her with like influencer relations, um, building those partnerships, maintaining those partnerships and just researching more influencers that they could work with in the future because it was a fashion-based company. And then my last internship when I was in college was um, with this company. It was a nonprofit um, ran by an actual a former Penn State student and now, you know, an alumna, but she built this company um, to help persons with disabilities um, have access to assistive technology, which I thought was amazing. So she, of course, like, you know, knew everything about like, you know, engineering and all of that, but she was like, I don't really know that much about social and communications. How can I like really get out there and build a presence on, you know, online? So I, you know, asked if I could like basically be her intern and the rest was history. So I was a, stra- a strategic communications intern um, for her. And I pretty much just helped her out with, you know, um, social content, scheduling content, researching different topics and like, you know, awards that maybe she could apply for, for her um, products, things like that. So uh, um, I would say like out of all of those four internships, so um, I got a lot of my experience from that one, that last one um, with the nonprofit organization, just because it was more of a startup feel and like a scrappy vibe I definitely was able to like roll up my sleeves and like really get to work yeah definitely working for those smaller startups are Mm -hmm. where you're gonna grow and learn the most I think because you're gonna have that freedom to explore what you want the best what you want to do yes um I definitely felt that way with my internship that I completed this past semester well I'm still doing it now but it's with Mm -hmm. my sorority national headquarters and I'm like working on social media and also our newsletter and things like that mm-hmm. so definitely those environments where you're going to have more freedom are going to be the where you learn and grow the most but yeah. I also the more established companies are also so great because they're gonna they're gonna look so good on a resume especially mm-hmm. because, and people are gonna know what they are yes and then you're also working under people who know what they're doing 
Definitely. And I would say after I graduated from Penn State, I did complete a post-grad internship just because I felt as though that made the most sense for me at that time. And I still wasn't really sure where I wanted to go into PR because there's just so many different sectors and so many different things that you can do. It's like, how can you know for sure, in my opinion? So after that, I did complete a post-grad internship with Ketchum um, in New York City, and I was a brand intern there. And I pretty much just helped out with, again, like influencer relations, but also just getting to see how agency life is and also helping out with like social media, public relations, drafting pitches, all of that type of stuff. And like you said, Jamie, like, you know, having that like um, having people, of course, like above you, like, or who were in the same position as you, you know, showing you the ropes and like assisting you was great. But then also having like other interns or like people that were kind of on the same level as you kind of figuring it out as well was also like a really nice like balance. So definitely appreciated my time there as well, because I feel like I learned a lot um, about myself, but also just about what type of public relations and, and what sector of comms I wanted to go into. Yeah, I definitely think that what you said about working with others that are like your own level, like working with other interns is so great and getting to know them is also so great because they're ultimately going to be in the same boat as you are. And Mm -hmm. especially they're going to be great networking tools in the future and connecting with them afterwards. And just like, I think hearing of hearing about other people's experiences is so important to help you kind of find your own path. So Mm -hmm. definitely love that you mentioned that. Um, so now kind of tell me a little bit about right after you graduated, you did the post-grad internship. And then what was it like looking for a full-time job, going through that process and eventually landing a role? Yeah. So after that, I really was like in that weird phase of like, do I want to stay in New York? Do I want to go back to Philly? What do I want to do? And honestly, after I wrapped up my internship with Ketchum, I was like, you know, I'm glad I got to say that I, you know, lived in New York, even if it was for only three months or for a summer, I just felt like, I was like on cloud nine after that, but I ultimately decided to come back to Philly just because like, that's where I wanted to get my start really. Um, and less expensive too, like I, like I mentioned before. So after I, um, you know, kind of graduated from the Ketchum's uh, Fellows Program, I came back to Philly and I got um, a job at another agency um, called Brownstein Group. And I was an account coordinator, so a public relations account coordinator. So I pretty much did everything that you would probably think um, an account coordinator would do. So I helped out with admin tasks. So, you know, scheduling meetings, um, coordinating like, you know, logistics in terms of like catering, if like there was a um, prospective client coming in for a meeting or if we even have our current clients coming in, I would help out with that. I also compile media lists. Um, I would draft pitches for my supervisor's review, have them approve it. And then I would reach out to reporters um, to try to secure placements for those clients that I had at the time, as well as just like, you know, anything else that they really like throw at you. When you work in an agency, like you do become a, a Jack or a Jill of all trades. So you have to wear multiple hats. Um, and it, it, it's really interesting because like I said, it does force you to kind of get out of your comfort zone, but it also forces you to become a better slash more well-rounded professional, I guess I could say. Um, so that was like the job that I got out of there. And then once I kind of went through that like public relations process, I realized, um, I would say a couple months later, like within that role, I really wanted to do more social media. I became more and more interested in that because at that company, they did have a social media department there. And I was really cool with all of the girls that worked in that department. And I would see what they would do in terms of scheduling content ideating social content, coming up with graphics, coming up with just cool things that their clients could take advantage of on social media. So I really expressed to my manager at the time, like I really would like to do more of that. 
And she was really nice about it and understood and actually split my time in between public relations and social media. So that's like what my title became was a PR slash social media um, account coordinator. So of course I was still doing all of my PR tasks, but now I also had absorbed um, social media tasks. So again, ID any content, um, scheduling content, coming up with different graphics or videos that our clients could use, as well as just community management. That's another big thing with social media that I feel like people don't really think about and or know about is that when you are um, working in social media for an agency or just in general for a brand, you have to, of course, like make sure that there's no negative conversations online from users. Like, are they talking negatively about your brand or are they talking positive positively about your brand or are they neutral like you have to kind of analyze those things because it's important for your client to know like hey this is kind of how you're being perceived on social right now you know um so I did a lot of that I also like would directly speak to customers depending on the client um, one of my clients at that agency was a bank so you can imagine the type of um, you know comments that we would get or just questions that we would get. So I would have to directly respond to them with like approved can responses that our client was already aware of and um, you know was aligned with. And then I would flag those complaints or questions with my client, let them know what's going on. They would you know kind of talk internally and then get back to us with a response or or um, next steps. I guess I should say for that particular customer in their question. So that's pretty much like what I was doing um, in terms of social there. And of course, also, I'm sorry, um, influencer relations as well. I was still working with influencers, um, maintaining and building those partnerships, as well as just, you know, working with them behind the scenes. Um, so that way, if we wanted to send them something, you know, we would hope that they would post about it and they would send us, you know, the post and we would approve it and or say, or ask them if they can tweak certain things, um, et cetera, et cetera. So, that part of um, social media I really liked as well um, was influencer relations. I think that's such a, it's still such a new market in terms of like what you can do with it and like what all goes into it, um, I, I guess I should say. So yeah, that's pretty much what encompassed like my entire role at that one job um, before I landed the position that I'm at now. I think that agencies are a really great place to get your start in the world. Um, especially even just doing an internship or getting a full, a first full-time role at one of those agencies. Mm -hmm. Um, because like you said, that Jack of all trades doing all of that definitely teaches you so, so, so much. My first internship was at a PR agency in the city and in Manhattan. Mm -hmm. And it was definitely that first experience for me of like hearing all these new terms and all the new things that they do and just mm -hmm. seeing how much each company does because especially at like a smaller agency um there's not that many people on the team so you really are exposed to so many different things mm -hmm. and learning and growing so 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 much definitely um so now with influencer relations I think mm -hmm. that's such an interesting like up and coming area to get into and to learn about because there really is no like handbook for how to handle influencers and influencer relations because mm -hmm. number one every influencer is a different person they're different people so you have to figure out how to connect with them individually but also mm -hmm. just because there's no rule book for influencers and there's no this person has this many followers but that doesn't mean their engagement is good so kind of like learning all those different things so what would you tell someone that wants to work in influencer relations what do you think is like kind of the biggest thing they should know 
I would say the biggest thing you should know and or have is a lot of patience. <laughs> I would say that's something that you really need to just keep in the back of your mind because like you mentioned, Jamie, like it, it's still such a new and like fresh type of area. And it's still like in a way in its infancy stages. So I know like the FTC and the FCC, all of them are still trying to figure out like, you know, just certain rules and regulations when it comes to sponsored content or, you know, just working with um, influencers at a brand ambassadorship type of level. So I would say just making sure that you have a lot of patience because there is, there are going to be a lot of back and forth moments because at the end of the day, like you are representing your client and you want to make sure that they are presented in the best light. But you also have to keep in mind that this content creator like this is their channel this is their brand and like they are still sticking true to themselves and what they want to put out there for their audience so there really is a lot of like you know just compromise and just making sure that again you like have that patience and just understanding as well that's something that I would preface um but it is a lot of fun too though working behind the scenes it is a lot of fun especially if you get to work with you know someone that you might actually watch on YouTube or someone that you actually might be friends with uh, not friends with I'm sorry someone that you actually might follow on social media and you actually get to work with them it is like I wouldn't say it's like um a fangirl moment or a oh my goodness like type of moment but it is just really cool to see that wow like you know I watched this person through a screen and now I'm actually working with them for a partnership type of situation for my client um, to really help elevate their message and their brand so um, I, I do want to just like throw that out there as well like yes while it is like you know patience and there are a lot of nuances and and you know compromises it's still fun and it's still an exhilarating experience um, that you can go through when you work in communications, whether it is public relations or social media, it doesn't matter. Um, it, it's, it's fun, I feel like, all the way around. I love that you bring up the FTC and their regulations and things like that, because I think mm -hmm. it's something that not every brand is thinking about when they're sending out products to influencers, especially mm -hmm. if they don't have like an influencer relations like team behind them. I know like I've received so many products just from like companies wanting to work with me as like a micro influencer, whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. But I'm always told you must disclose that you receive this as yeah. you like as a free product. And then I see like my some of my friends posting on Instagram with products and I'm like, did you get that for free? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, you know, you have to disclose that. And they're like, exactly. oh, they, they didn't tell me that. I was like, no, but you have to like legally. Exactly. Exactly. And you're so right about that. It's still just so up in the air. And there's still, again, just so many rules and regulations with it that are not it's still fully fleshed out. So I, I totally hear you. And that's just something that like a lot of us at my agency and even back then when I was working at Brownstein Group and even when I was interning with Ketchum, like those were just things that like you had to know and be aware of. Cause like you said, like legally you have to disclose that information um, regardless. So, and I do see now it's getting a lot better in terms of like, I see YouTube now has that little like bar that some influencers can put in their video and it says includes paid promotion. So it's like, I'm glad that there's steps, you know that are being taken but we definitely still have a ways to go um, in terms of really having that transparency there. Yeah, and even in Instagram has started using that little bar as mm -hmm. well. When you tag a product, they're like, oh, this seems like a sponsored post. Do you yes. want to disclose that? Mm -hmm. And I think that it's something that a lot of brands, if they want to work with influencers, even if they don't have an outside PR firm or an outside communications team or something like that, mm -hmm. they should have someone specialized in influencer relations doing that because it is such exactly. a tricky kind of industry. Exactly. 100%. I totally agree. 
So now moving into your role now, can you Mm -hmm. tell me a little bit about what a day-to-day might look like for you? Yeah. So I actually just wanted to preface and say that when you do work in an agency, like every day is different. Um, So there is really no, my Tuesday is different from my Wednesday, Wednesday is different from my Thursday, et cetera. But I would say that like my main responsibilities are just, again, um, helping out with social content and like content ideation. So a lot of my clients do have, you know, monthly or biweekly um, editorial calendars where they just have a, a range of topics and or holidays that they kind of want to like hit on throughout the month and put out messaging behind that. So my coworkers and I, you know, we'll, we'll brainstorm, we'll put on like an hour meeting and just brainstorm different content ideas that we can um, present to the client. So again, curating those biweekly or monthly content calendars. Um, I also help with tracking analytics and um, looking at those key P- KPIs that I mentioned earlier. So uh, because I am a social media um, specialist, or that because that is in my title, I do have to put together um, monthly um, social media reports. So depending on the client, it, it, it really can be very extensive. So they could be like uh, reports that have 20 PowerPoint slides, or they could be as simple as like six. It really just depends on the client and what they're looking for. But in those reports, I do look at, you know, how well their content performed. Um, so looking at those, again, those KPIs, those engagement, the engagement rate, the impressions, the reach, click-through rate, video views, all of that. Um, I also take a look at their competitors as well. So a lot of my clients do like to know what's going on with their competitors and they like to see how they kind of, you know, measure up against them, which is totally understandable. So I will go look on their pages and kind of see what their social content looks like and also include that in the report and let them know, hey, their content, you know, is it is, you know, pretty good in terms of like they are engaging with their users if, if they comment on a post or they are, you know, making sure that their um, social content has an accompanying graphic or video. Um, or I'll say, you know, their content isn't really that good because their posting cadence is very sporadic. Like they don't have a set, you can tell, they don't have a set publishing schedule, which is not really that great when it comes to, you know, those KPIs. So that's another thing that I do. Um, I also, you know, just assist with new business opportunities. So in agencies, there's always an opportunity to, you know, improve our roster of clients or bring on new clients. So I also assist with, you know, building out those presentation decks. If I'm, go- if I know ahead of time from my supervisor that, hey, you might be staffed on this account if we get it. Um, so you have to kind of be involved from the process from start to finish. Like I said, I'll help out with those presentation decks. I'll also s- sit in on those presentations, like the actual pitch itself. And I might have a few slides that are um, delegated to me and I have to speak to them. Um, really about the social side of it, but I have to speak to those, um, you know, those type of uh, intricacies within the agency. And then I also help out again with the community management as well. So I do a a hodgepodge of things when it comes to social media, um, working in social media at this agency. And then of course, admin stuff that never goes away, guys. If you're, you know, it doesn't matter if you're an intern or if you are you know, an executive vice president, to an extent, you are still going to have to do those admin tasks in terms of entering your time in manually, because it's different for an agency. You can't just clock in, clock out for lunch, clock back in and clock out for the day. It's not like that. Um, You have to manually enter your time because you have different clients and you spend different, you know, hours on each client and account. Um, Again, coordinating meetings, um, just logistically working through certain things with vendors or you know reporters because I do a little bit of PR here as well so just a hodgepodge of things but I would say that's like mainly what my day-to-day consists of. So 
working in social media, I think can seem really appealing for a lot of people mm-hmm. because they're like, oh, I have an Instagram account. I know how Instagram works. That's yeah. <laughs> I can work in social media. Mm-hmm. So what do you kind of think sets you apart when you're looking for jobs? Mm-hmm. That's what do you think makes you different than just someone who is like, I have an Instagram account. I can run an Instagram. Yeah, that's a great question, Jamie. And it's so funny because if you run into like actual social media strategists or specialists, all of us say we cannot stand when people, you know, say like, oh, I can do social media because I have an Instagram, I have a YouTube, I have a Twitter. And it's like, that's great. But like, there's so much more that goes into it than just uploading a photo and going on about your day. Like there's so much more into it. But I guess I would say in terms of like what I think sets me apart is just having that background knowledge of really analytics I would say that on top of just like really understanding those again those core KPIs because like I said before it's easy for anyone to just post a picture and go on about their day but do you actually really understand like how your post perform do you understand what engagement means do you understand what a good click-through rate looks like or what the industry benchmark is for a good for a um you know a good click-through rate or engagement rate, et cetera, et cetera. So I would say having that analytical background really helped me because, you know, when I went through my interview process at the company that I'm at now, and just even in the past, a lot of them did say, um, or ask me, can I expand on like what digital media trends and analytics meant um, when I had that minor, when I went up to Penn State. So really having that analytical experience. And let me just preface, like I am not the biggest math person whatsoever. A lot of this stuff is done through Excel. And as you know, Excel has those type of like, um, you know, equations and sums that are already built into the platform, which is just a blessing. But I would say just, you know, even taking a little bit of time to just research what analytics means, what those KPI means, KPIs mean, and even like looking into Google Analytics, because you don't have to be enrolled in college or you don't have to work in a full-time job or an internship to get your certificate in Google Analytics. You can take that exam whenever you want. Um, as long as you know you just study and you have all the right materials, like you can take it. Um, and of course, you know, having access to Google essentially, like you can look up just different things in terms of analytics and how you can learn to improve your skills with that. And I'm not saying coding or anything like that, but again, just analyzing data and really being able to explain to your clients or someone that isn't in social media how their how well their content performed and why it performed well and or what we can do better in the future right and I think that those google certification classes are mm-hmm. so great because most of them are free if not all of them mm-hmm. um so I know like right now I'm doing the fundamentals fundamentals of digital marketing one and it's mm-hmm. like 26 hours or whatever it may be so it doesn't take up that much time either and you can space it out so it's mm-hmm. just like that great way to just get like a little bit of your foot in the door and just stand out and like I know these things and I'm excited to learn more about it working with your clients so just finding those simple ways to make yourself stand out Mm -hmm. as someone that is not just someone who posts on Instagram exactly exactly and I think that's something that is so great with social media is that you can use your own things as an example of your work when you're applying to jobs if you're doing it the right way. Definitely. And I know a lot of, you know, people are talking about really building your own brand and really making sure that your own brand is, you know, um, really like appealing the eyes of like potential employers and 
and you know people along those lines and I do agree that if you are hitting those um you know benchmarks or, or points if you will and it really lines up with like the job that you may be looking at that you want to apply for definitely feel free to include that in a digital portfolio like if you know how to use photoshop and or canva like exceptionally well show that in your digital portfolio like you know take a screenshot of what you have on your instagram and put that on a website or whatever the case is um and so that way you can show potential employers or again if you're good at like drafting if you work within um, an organization within your school. So I was also part of um, the Public Relations Student Society of America when I was up at Penn State. And, you know, I did a lot of social media for my role um, within that organization. So a lot of what I did there, I made sure that like, you know, I had that in my digital portfolio so I, so I could show potential employers like, hey, this is what I did during my time at college. Like, this is everything that I did. This is the type of stuff that we put out on our channels. Can you take a look at it? So I would definitely say like, you know, just making sure that you keep that in your mind as well um, when you're going through the job process. And I think it's so interesting just how much the world has changed in the yes. years that we've been alive and grown up. It's like, I feel like 20 years ago when our parents were applying to jobs, if a job had been like, oh, what's your Facebook username? They would have been like, <laughs> why do you want that information from mm-hmm. me? And I think that growing up, we were always told, like, be careful what you post on social media. Like, it might come back to bite you. And now mm-hmm. it's like using your social media as a way to get a job is definitely yes. such a different vibe, different experience. So it's so interesting to see how the world has evolved since we've been growing up. Definitely. And that was something that I had in my um, public relations classes. I had one professor that would start off every semester showing us, you know, an awful social media like post example in terms of like, this is what you shouldn't do on social media. And it was actually a former student of his. He would show like this post that she had out there on social media. And he would explain to us every single semester, like, yeah, don't do this. And or, you know, really make sure that maybe your page is like super professional all of the time or, or put it on private or whatever the case is. And I know that there's a lot of nuances with that and people are different in terms of what they want to do with their own social media. Personally, I believe in, you know, having a balance. I don't want to sit here and, and have my personal Twitter or Instagram be super corporate and button up and and look like my LinkedIn profile. That's just not what I want to do. I want to be able to show my own personality through it. Like, of course, not having anything, you know, offensive or anything um, negative on my page. Of course not. But I do want to just show like, hey, look at this funny meme that I saw. I I, I liked it and I want to post it on my page, but also wanting to, you know, post professional content as well, or just retweeting things that may deal with the industry that I'm in. So I think having that good balance helps too. Um, But I I do think it is important to build up your social media presence. And I'm not saying, you know, have 10,000 followers right off the bat. That's not what I'm saying at all. But I do think it's important to try to have a a presence and having and being consistent with it. I know that now TikTok is like, you know, one of the huge platforms that a lot of social media strategists that are a little bit older are having trouble really understanding and or kind of breaking through because it's like, they don't really know exactly like how to do it. And I actually have, there are a lot of friends that I have that, you know, work in social media and they're like, yeah, I'm not on TikTok. And I, I look at them kind of crazy and I'm like, how are you not on TikTok? Like there's just so many opportunities to tap into there. And these kids nowadays, I say that as if I'm 90 years old, but you know, the Gen Zers over here, they're doing an amazing job with TikTok and really engaging their audiences and 
and really building a name for themselves. And I'm not just talking about the Charlie D'Amelio's and Dixie D'Amelio's of the world, but like there are just a lot of really great opportunities on TikTok. And I just think it's crazy that there's some people that work in social who refuse to get on it. It's like, no, you should be on it because you want to be able to inform your clients and, and other people of like what you can do on there. I keep saying that TikTok is this great platform that yes. people need to look at because I think what's so great about TikTok is that it doesn't matter how many followers you have mm -hmm. because of the for you page. Like Instagram has its explore page, but if we're being honest, no one looks at the explore page. Exactly. The for you page is like this magical thing where you are connected with so many people and it follows this mm -hmm. algorithm that no one truly understands, but <laughs> even just that for you page is that perfect way to engage people because people, if they want to see more of your content, then they have to like your posts or they have to comment. They have to watch it and mm -hmm. show TikTok if they want to see more of it. And because of the for you page, you can go viral on one thing, even if you have zero followers. Exactly. You just need that one idea, that one post to exactly just take off, even with the music. I was just telling um, my boyfriend the other day, I said, it's crazy how TikTok has, you know, a, a hold on the, on the music industry right now. It's like, there's songs from back in my day, like the Ali and AJ song that is now blowing up again. And I'm just like, what is going on? That was so popular back then. And now these kids are just doing dances to it and it, it's charting again. So I just think it's really insane when people say they don't, they don't get on it. Like, because, or they'll use the excuses like, I don't know. I feel like I'm too old on it. It doesn't matter how old you are. Like anyone, there's, there's literal grandparents that are on TikTok and they're going viral. So stop using that as an excuse and just get on it and just, just have fun with it. And especially with the music industry, I think that even new artists are being discovered through yes. TikTok because mm -hmm. even just even now, like right now, half of my free page is driver's license by Olivia Rodrigo. Yes. But then that was the song I was thinking about too. <laughs> every other every other post I see is like, oh, do you need a song like driver's license to scream in your car? Here's my song. Yes, exactly. And see, and that's what I'm saying. Like it's just it, it's so good because it's like a continuation where it's like people are really like able to kind of like build up off of one another. And it's like a everybody can have a piece of the pie type of situation, which I really think that's really interesting on TikTok now. Of course, there are things that they can improve on um, in terms of the algorithm and, you know, not to really get fully, fully into it, but, you know, there are certain instances where black and brown creators do need more recognition and mm -hmm. more awareness on that platform as well. You know, case in point with Julia, the original, you know, renegade girl, like she you know, they, a lot of black and brown creators do need that platform as well to not need that platform, but they need that exposure um, to help break, for them to help break through the algorithm. So like I said, there are still improvements and there are still a lot of steps that like every platform and every app can take to make it a better place for everyone involved. Um, it's just, you know, one of those things where it's like, it's going to take time, like with everything else. But I do think that overall TikTok does have a great way of, you know, really making things go big and, and go viral and explode in terms of just the music and, and the memes and the trends and all of that type of stuff. And I really go there besides Twitter, I really go there to really understand like certain just pop culture references and references that are happening right now, because I, I just still want to be in the know. And I want to be able to like, let my clients know and like my coworkers know even who are a bit older than me and telling them, Hey, this is what's trending right now. Like on, on, on social media, this is what Gen Zers and people in this demographic, in this Asian demographic are talking about, if we want to really tap into that, we got to look at this type of stuff. We can't just ignore it because it's like, oh, it's TikTok. It's for the kids. It's like, no, 
they have a voice and they are also, they also have buying power too. Yeah. And I don't know if you've seen this in the, but so TikTok now started saving the water, the TikTok watermark, like in the middle of your video rather than on the sides. Mm-hmm. That way, when you repost it to Instagram reels, it's more prominent that it was yeah. on TikTok. But I think that's because even I've heard so many times in the past week that if you want to grow on Instagram, reels are the way to do it. Yeah. So mm-hmm. now that Instagram is also taking advantage of those like TikTok style videos. It's mm-hmm. even more prominent that like brands need to get on TikTok and need to get on reels. Yeah. And that's something else that we've actually been trying to like go back and forth with, with our clients on because <laughs> I- I've spoke to even, you know, again, I have cousins um, that are in the Gen Z or demographic and I've spoken to them and I say like, what do you watch more? Do you go on Instagram for reels or do you really go on TikTok for those short form type of videos. And they all kind of say TikTok. I don't, why would I go on Instagram for, for those reels? And it is kind of like a, it, it takes me back a bit. Cause it's like, wow. Like I was under the impression that it was either going to be a 50, 50 split or like maybe a, I kind of go on reels a little bit more, but a lot of them are really saying that they still prefer TikTok. So that's something that we're trying to figure out in terms of like, do we want to put our resources in and invest in Instagram reels? If people aren't really going to watch it as much as we hope that they will. Um, now, of course, it does depend on the brand and what type of social media presence your brand has on Instagram and or TikTok. So obviously, if you have more eyes on Instagram, yes, you might get more impressions when it comes to reels. But I, I still think it is one of those things where it's like people are trying to figure out how to really go about it just because it, it, like with these type of social platforms, like they all take elements from one another. As we saw Instagram, you know, went to Snapchat when it came to the Instagram stories and and the Snapchat stories, they took elements from that. And now Instagram kind of made it better in terms of like the story. So a lot of people flock to Instagram stories now, but when you look at like- I was just about to say that. Exactly. Like when you look at Instagram stories like that, that's really what it is now. And I know Twitter rolled out their own stories called fleets. And I know that there are a lot of people that use it, but at the same time, I feel like people are still more keen to Instagram stories. So that's why I said, it's always a trial and error process with not just with like us and what we propose to our clients, but also these platforms and these apps because they have to kind of figure out, okay, are people really gonna like this new feature or are they gonna hate it? And we kind of have to like navigate navigate them with these um, platforms, which is I think such an interesting thing too. It's like, we're a part of this, like, like agencies and social strategists and things like that. We're a part of these like new innovative cutting edge type of features. Right. I'm excited to see if Instagram Reels eventually start just pulling people off of TikTok. Mm-hmm. Like I think that when Instagram Stories became so big, it definitely pulled a lot of people off of Snapchat. I know yes. I used to be the type of person that I would just sit and scroll through all my Snapchat stories to see what people were up to. Same. And now it's like I watch Snapchat stories of like my closest friends, but everyone else I get their information from Instagram. Exactly. I and I don't even go on um Snapchat anymore to be honest. I have it still on my phone just because of, you know, that like a hoarding um, type of situation but like I don't even go on it anymore and even when I have went on it none of my friends even updated anymore it's all like you said on Instagram stories now and or TikTok in a way so landscape the social landscape just keeps evolving and shifting like every day I definitely still use Snapchat, but for three key reasons. The first one is that I have a streak on Snapchat that is 1,400 <laughs> days long, oh, wow. and it's been going on since my senior year of high school, wow. and it's, like, with one of my friends that, like, we're not as close as we used to be, and, like, we both are both kind of in that place where we're both, like, 
when I lose this streak, that'll be it for my streaks. <laughs> but we're trying to get this streak keeping for as long as we can. Mm-hmm. And then the other two reasons that you Snapchat are number one, my private story on Snapchat is like my mm-hmm. best friend. That is how I share all my information with my friends because I don't know, Snapchat to me seems more secure than Instagram close friends. Mm-hmm. But I yeah. guess eventually people are going to start shifting over to close friends on Instagram. And mm. then I also love Snapchat because they have their memories feature. So it shows you what you were doing like a year ago today or two years ago today. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's really fun and nostalgic. So I love that. But as soon as other platforms start exploring those options, it's Mm -hmm. definitely going to keep pulling away from Snapchat. Exactly. And I noticed that Instagram, I keep going back to them, but I noticed that they're really doing a good job at that because you they also have like that memories feature, or I guess it's called archive. Mm-hmm. And like, you can like, you know, go back and kind of see like, wow, like, so this is where I was on like June 19, 2018, essentially. So you're right. I, I think it's really interesting that like, these type of platforms and who knows what the new platform will be, you know, in a couple months, a couple years, and we'll see, are they going to like pull the audience that was built on TikTok onto there or what, or what is going on. It's just, it's really interesting to me, honestly, with all of these social platforms. And that's something that me and my coworkers talk about all the time. It's like, we feel like we're a part of something that's like just constantly new, constantly changing, constantly innovating. And it's just, it's really cool to be a part of that. Yeah. I think Instagram's definitely become this like copycat platform almost. Like it started off as it's, <laughs> it started off as its own entity, like for sharing photos. And mm-hmm. then all of a sudden it just started taking from every single other social media platform into yeah. its own app. So eventually I think that Instagram is going to just come out on top as the superior platform, but it's been so interesting to see how they've taken things and at first we're so reluctant to it Mm -hmm. and then the next thing you know it's like the next big thing exactly I know it's really crazy but I definitely can't wait to see like what happens with TikTok though it's like I'm always like constantly like just waiting to see what's the next trend what besides like the music it's like you know fashion that Y2K fashion as people like to call it like it's coming back like the yoga pants and Mm -hmm. and all of that type of stuff so I just I don't know I just feel like like TikTok when it comes to like the older generations like it just it does get a bad rep and it's like again and there are steps that they need to take to really improve their platform for again black and brown creators I really do want to stress that but I do feel like it is such a very dynamic type of platform it's crazy that my six-year-old cousin is on here making videos and like you know getting likes and stuff I'm just like what is going on that that wasn't a thing when I was growing up you know and I really didn't even like get into social media when my space was out I wasn't even on social media like that I really didn't get onto it until Facebook really was big so it's just really crazy to see (laughs) it it makes me wonder like if um TikTok had been around when we were younger I feel like Mm -hmm. so many more of us would have like enrolled in dance classes and things like that just so we could be like TikTok famous or whatever it may be so it's definitely so interesting to see how TikTok is going to affect that younger generation growing up definitely so now hopping back into your job now Mm -hmm. what do you kind of think is like the best part of your job and Mm -hmm. then on the contrary like your not so favorite part like the best part is yeah, I would say in terms of like the best part, it definitely would be like I mentioned before, just um, being able to stay up to date on those trends. I think that's such a really cool thing and being able to, you know, look at everything from a bigger picture and seeing like, okay, what can we tap into? What can we, you know, um, use to our advantage in terms of like helping our clients elevate their brand, things like that. And just again, like 
being able to really just stay up to date. I also like the fact that like when it comes to comms, um, especially just like, you know, my part now or my role now within the social media space is just bringing certain campaigns to life. There's nothing better than when you're working on a campaign for a client and it's like, you know, a very long process in terms of like the, the ground, the grassroots and like the ground up type of phases. It's like, you're going through all of that, the, the rounds of feedback, the rounds of edits, the rounds of just communicating and trying to figure out like, okay, how can we make this work on both sides? Like while we're still keeping our best practices in place, but also making sure that your client's spin is on that campaign and making sure that it's authentically unique and tailored to them. But like, like trying to figure all of that out and then finally getting to the execution phase and like having it go live, that's like one of the greatest feelings because it's like, you're sitting back and you're like, whew, I went through all of that, but it's also like, wow, like I really had a big part in this and now it's live and like people are really enjoying it or people are actually like, you know, engaging with it or, or saying this is a great idea. And then of course, taking it a step further, if it gets noticed by those like, you know, ad age or like, you know, PR Newsweek, things like that. It's so, it's just really a great exhilarating feeling um, to, to have, to be honest. And I guess I would say in terms of like the, not so great part is that it's no secret when it comes to agency. Um, it's not a traditional nine to five, you know, you're not going to be working, you know, 9am and then you have a hard stop at 5pm or you might get off at 530. It's like, no, this is again, an all hands on deck type of approach with agency. You guys are all working together. You guys are all one team and you have to be able to make sure that you're pulling your weight and making sure that like you're getting your work done and, and delivering the best possible work results for your clients. So there are a lot of times where, you know, I might wake up at 7 a.m. and I might not log off that same night until 7 p.m. because I'm working on something that has to get done by a certain deadline. Um, so I would say that like, you know, just prefacing that it's not a traditional nine to five. So having that, that work-life balance can be difficult. Um, but now with, you know, this new year, a lot of us at my agency in particular, we're really trying to implement you know those type of work-life boundaries and work-life balances and cutoffs in terms of like shut down your phone shut down your laptop as, as easy as that might sound like seriously try to you know rest recharge and rejuvenate because you need to bring your best self to work the next day and then the next day etc cetera, etc cetera. so like trying to find that work-life balance is something that I, I I'm really committing myself to and honestly after last year we all know that 2020 was not a great year at all by any means and a lot of people's mental health were impacted by that year and it's and it's still being and all of our mental health for the most part is still being in, impacted by the effects of the pandemic the political climate the social justice initiatives to this day and that's just something that i'm trying to really work on is like protecting my peace i guess i shall say and also just trying to really put my mental health at the forefront and making sure that like i'm good physically yes but emotionally and mentally as well so i would say those are like the best and or like you know challenging parts of um my job and just working um, within an agency. And also, I guess I wanted to just throw in there as well that with social media, it isn't always on 24 hour type of situation um, because social media does not have a hard stop or a deadline. Um, and depending on who your clients are, there may be times where you have to jump in on the weekends or jump in after hours and monitor for them, especially for crisis situation arises. So again, just wanted to preface that, that Agency really isn't for, for the faint of heart. You really do have to be disciplined and really understand that this is not a traditional nine to five. And if that's not something that you're really keen on, then really kind of take a step back and regroup and figure out, you know, if you can make it work, 
and or if you can't, what can you do um, to substitute, I guess, working in an agency? Right. I think that work-life balance is definitely something that someone needs to learn really early on in their Mm -hmm. PR career in order to avoid burnout and to avoid fatigue and to just generally be like happy with their career and their lifestyle. Just learning how to separate yourself from your work is really important. So what do you think is kind of like the biggest piece of advice you would give to someone to start learning how to kind of have that work-life balance? Yeah, I would say, honestly, just really trying to talk to your supervisors. I know that can sound intimidating and kind of like, you know, scary, especially if you're new and you're fresh out of college or, you know, you just recently finished a post-grad internship. But I would say like your managers are there to support you um, or they should be there to support you and to really like help you figure out that work-life balance. Um, I always go to my supervisors and talk to them about prioritization and time management and talk to them and say, you know, I have X amount of assignments due by this date. What makes the most sense in terms of tackling, you know, which assignment first and what could be kind of put on the back burner or what can be, you know, kind of held off until like um, after I get all of the other like timely stuff um, complete. So I would say really just talk to your managers in terms of help helping you out with that prioritization, but also really trying to like set some boundaries with, with yourself and really like think about, okay, this is like a non-negotiable for me. Like I am really going to log off or try to log off at like, you know, 5.30 every night and just like try to explain to my supervisors and my coworkers like, hey, like this this project can be done in the morning or I can, you know, what uh, you know whatever the case is. So I would say just trying to figure out if you can like set those own boundaries for yourself. I noticed that that's something that my coworkers and, and my managers are doing now. We talk about it. Um, after last year, we've all been talking about it. So I would say that too. Um, It it is a trial and error process and it is very difficult to still try to like get the perfect work-life balance. And I guess there really is no perfect work-life balance, but just trying to find something that works for you. um, I I would say those are like my two like main tips that um, I'm trying to apply to my own self right now. Yeah, I think that that's really great and really important. And I think especially with working from home and working remotely, it's kind of harder to have that balance because Mm -hmm. you have everything with you at all times and you can work at any moment of any day so definitely remembering that like you get paid for a certain amount of hours to work Mm -hmm. even when you're on a salary (laughs) like you are getting paid for a certain amount of work that you do Mm -hmm. so take a break if you need it yes definitely and another thing that I would say is please 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 this sounds so probably silly and minute but like it's very it's actually a very big thing that we talk about an agency do not skip lunch that is that is something that I want to preface do not skip lunch if take that hour break take that 30 minute break whatever the case is and and take your lunch go for a walk lay down read a book watch Netflix something like that within that little break period because we're not machines, you know, we're not machines. We are not built or made to just keep go, 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 go. So really try to like not work through your lunch or, you know, okay, well I'll, I'll get, you know, my little salad and like sit here and still type, no, take a break and really just like try to, again, like come back with a fresh or refreshed um, mindset and like perspective when you come back to work. That's something that I'm also trying to work on this year because there were a lot of times last year where I did work through lunch and I felt it by the end of the day, I crashed by like five and I'm like, wow, I'm so hungry. I don't know why, as if I didn't skip lunch and only have like, you know, coffee or water or something like that for the day. So that's just something else that I wanted to preface um, to, to everyone as well. 
Right. Definitely. So, so, so important. Yes. And now to kind of wrap it all up, thinking back about everything you've done, Mm -hmm. your majors, your minors, the four internships you did, the post-grad internship and the two jobs Mm -hmm. you've had. Is there anything about your path that you would do differently or change if you had the chance? You know, Jamie, I was really, I always think about this question. I always like when I reflect back on like my time, you know, back in college and high school, I do, I always would say like, oh yeah, there is something I would change or there is something I would do, but honestly, or do differently. But honestly, now I feel like I'm at a point in my life, especially this is kind of going to go off of topic just for a second, but I recently watched the movie um, Soul on Disney Plus, and that movie like has a really good message in terms of like, not like really you know, being so consumed with like finding your purpose or finding your spark or whatever the case is and really just trying to stop and smell the roses and really just being sometimes. And so with that, along with like kind of my new mindset now, I honestly wouldn't change anything. I don't think I would do anything differently because like we also talked about, like everything happens for a reason. Everything that I've done from high school, well, from, you know, (laughs) birth up until now has made me into the woman that I am today and has made me prepared for the career that I'm in now. So I don't think I would want to alter anything or do anything differently. Yes, there were some low points within my college career and in my professional career. And yes, of course, like there might be a time where it's like, dang, I really wish that didn't happen. But again, I feel like all of these moments do build character and they do help you grow and evolve into, again, like the person that you are now. So I don't think I would change anything. I guess the only piece of advice that maybe I could give is just enjoying if you're in college right now enjoy it try to enjoy it I know that we're going through an unprecedented time and things are different now but like try to enjoy it to the best of your ability because you're never going to get that type of time back and looking back like I do miss you know college and, and miss hanging with my friends all of the time or being around them so just try to enjoy it and not really harp on the future too too much I know especially in communications it can get really easy for you to become really consumed with finding that perfect internship or finding that like glamorous agency style internship and it's like well yes that's cool but it's not everything so just try to really enjoy your time now and you know still work in tandem and making sure that you're doing everything you can to set yourself up for success but again don't let it consume you um but yeah sorry Jamie to go back to your question like no I don't think there's anything that I would do differently and I think it's so great that you're able to recognize that like, yes, you've had points, but it's all made you a better person. And like, you've mm-hmm. learned something from everything. I think as long as you can look back and say that there were things I did, but I learned from them. I think mm-hmm. that is the most important thing. Definitely. Yep. So thank you so much for being here and chatting with me. This was definitely mm-hmm. such a fun interview and I'm so excited <laughs> for everyone to listen to it. Of course. And thank you again for having me on. I really appreciate it. I think everything that you're doing with this podcast, Jamie, is amazing. And there really aren't that many, like, I feel like PR and comms resources out there in terms of like for younger, the younger generations to really like take a hold of or really look into. So keep this up, seriously. (laughs) Thank you so, so, so much. And to my listeners, if you're still here, thank you so much for listening. And I will talk to you guys in the next episode.